From TLDR News, this is Too Long Didn't Read. So last night was another huge night in Parliament in both the House of Commons and the House of Lords, with major losses for the government on two fronts. We'll discuss both of those in this episode, the Ben Bill and also the general election vote. We'll also be discussing Chancellor Javid's spending plans. But before we do anything else, let me introduce you quickly the team we have on today's podcast. Joining me today are Zach, one of our lead writers. Oh yeah, hello. That's me again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and also on the phone line, we have Ben, our other lead writer. Hello, how are you all doing? I'm, uh, I'm currently at Centre Park, so unfortunately uh, this might be a little bit difficult as we found out this morning already, but um, we're giving it a Hopefully go. we can make it work. I'm yeah, sure we'll manage to make it work. start by discussing the Ben Bill that went through Parliament last night. Uh, you'll remember from yesterday's episode, we were discussing how Parliament had given itself power to take over schedule of parliamentary business, um, and they use that time to put forward the Ben Bill. Just a quick overview, if you're not familiar with it, this is a bill which requires the government to either find a deal with the EU before the 19th of October, or get Parliament to sign off a no deal before the same date. If they fail to do either of them, then Johnson will be forced to request an extension, with the bill suggesting that the extension takes it to the 31st of January 2020. The EU get the final say on this, but if they change the date that the UK propose, then Parliament gets the opportunity to sign it off, so we're not completely locked to what the EU decides. So yesterday that bill made it to Parliament and it progressed through multiple stages. Ben, would you be able to give us a quick overview of how bills pass through Parliament? Yes, so in Parliament there are uh, two houses. So we have the House of Commons, which is the one that most people have probably heard of and which is what most of the news this week's actually been concerning, and the House of Lords as well. So uh, yesterday the bill went through the House of Commons. It's going to be going through the House of Lords soon. Now the House of Lords is known as the Upper Chamber. Historically the Upper Chamber has actually been able to have the final say on the bill, but due to a few different bits of legislation in the 20th century, it now only has the power to delay. Obviously, with the Brexit deadline being as soon as it is, uh, a delay to this bill will actually pretty much kill it. So it is needed to get through the House of Lords on Friday. Uh, both houses will have a chance to have a vote on the bit of legislation, and there are a different, few different stages, uh, which we have gone through in a few videos. So if anybody wants to um, find those, uh, you're more than welcome. But yes, uh, so it's gone through the House of Commons and we'll be going through the House of Lords on Friday, I think. So we probably should talk through what happened when it went through Parliament yesterday. So first it went for the second reading, which was the second chance MPs got to vote on the bill and it passed 329 votes to 300. Pretty much similar people voting for the bill to last time round. But this time there was one additional Tory rebel, Caroline Spellman. Um, but besides that, it looked fairly similar to before. Were we in any way surprised that this happened? Did we think that it was going to go through second time round? Yeah, um, I don't think it was particularly surprising. I think considering that Parliament had voted the day before to take control of the parliamentary agenda, uh, the only reason anyone would really vote for that would be to vote on this bill. So anybody that voted to take control of the parliamentary agenda was kind of expected to vote for this bill, um, especially considering that um, with the sort of level of discipline that the Conservatives sort of instilled um, on the vote to take control of the parliamentary agenda, you'd expect that they'd only do so if they were absolutely adamant to try and stop a no deal, which is uh, kind of what the bill was for. So, yeah, I don't think it was particularly surprising. Um, I think I was kind of shocked the day before uh, for how many Tories actually voted to uh, against their government and considering, as I say, the, the, the sort of punishment that they received for it. 
but no, um, I, I think it's not too surprising that the, the sort of numbers and the number of people who voted in, in both were, were fairly similar. So then the bill passed the amendment stage and there are a number of amendments that were tabled for the bill. Um, but only one ends up passing, which was the Kinnock Amendment. And the way that passed was really unusual. There were some really strange things going on there. But before we get to that, just to quickly explain what the Kinnock Amendment means. The amendment, if Boris Johnson is forced into requesting an extension, then the official government policy is that they're seeking an extension in order to try and pass May's deal. The idea being that this is no longer a blind extension. They're not just extending for no reason. They're doing it because they're aiming to have a version of May's deal passed through Parliament. Yeah, so it's worth pointing out that just because this amendment went through, it doesn't actually legally require the government to put May's deal back. It just sort of says that the extension is in order to try and get May's deal through yeah. again. Yeah, it also went through in a really weird way. Um, it wasn't a very popular amendment. Uh, everyone else in the parliament thinks that, you know, uh, May's deal is dead. Yeah. It actually only went through because the government failed to provide tellers who basically just count up how many MPs vote each way for the no's. And then for some reason, for some weird arcane parliamentary reason, that just means that it goes through. Yeah. And there was some speculation, actually, as to whether or not this was a deliberate move by the government. Like, no one really knows, but it could have just been accidental. Like, it could just be that they messed up and yeah. like, they didn't get the It feels right. unlikely, though, at this stage. Yeah, well, you know, with this government, there's always a chance. <laughs> a little bit Machiavellian. Um, but there was a theory during the rounds that actually they, they let this amendment go through because they hoped that it's so unpopular that the Lords would try and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And if the Lords disputed it and voted against it, that would mean that the bill as a whole would have to go back to the Commons and it would start off this ping-pong process where the bill yeah. bounces between the Commons and the Lords. And that would probably kill the bill because they just yeah. wouldn't get enough time. So they're essentially hoping that by passing the amendment, it would cause more chaos. It would slow down the Lords' procedure or force them to go back to the Commons. But regardless of that, the amendment did pass automatically because of the whole tellers situation you were talking about. And because of that, it passed on to the third reading of the bill, um, where the bill passed by 327 votes to 299. And after that is where the Lords comes into play, what Zach was just talking about. Because after that stage, it heads straight to the Lords, where they begin debating the bill. Now, Ben, do you mind quickly talking to us about what this means for the bill's passage going forward? Yes. So if it gets to the Lords, it's a very similar process in the Lords. So we have three different stages of uh, debate in the Lords. The first one being where the bill is just read through in its entirety. And then obviously we would progress and there's a bit more debate on that. Um, As I said, it it kind of is essential that it gets through the Lords if it has any chance of uh, actually being effective. Uh, The Lords can only block legislation for a period of time. But given the sort of um, time sensitive nature of this uh, it does need to go through the other thing to bear in mind is with the proroguement any bills that haven't uh, finished in the parliamentary session kind of um, get written off at the end of the the parliamentary session which is obviously happening in the next few weeks Um, so that is already causing a few problems for a few other bills um, with the fact that the if the bill hasn't actually gone through by the end of the parliamentary session unless there is an exception to that you can there is something you can add on to the bill that says it will pass over and transfer transfer over between the parliamentary sessions it will be finished so it is kind of essential that on friday the lords do pass this uh, for this bill to be effective Yeah, and as we discussed yesterday, and as Zach alluded to a moment ago, there was a certain amount of discussion of how quickly it can get through the Lords and if it was possible to pass it within that time frame um, because of the filibuster rules in the House of Lords, which are much laxer than in the Commons and mean that there's the ability for people just to debate 
almost endlessly into the night until some kind of until they run out of time um ultimately though they did reach a decision at about 1 30 a.m and a business motion passed stating that the bill will be returned to the commons by 5 p.m on friday so it certainly looks like it's going to get back to the commons in time it looks like it should be able to pass through the lords there are certain caveats on that it's not necessarily guaranteed to pass through um but it's certainly looking more likely than some people were thinking initially the laws of a serious work ethic like you just the commons are not staying up to 130 it's unbelievable and when you look around some of the age of those people yeah i wouldn't want to be doing that now let it's alone completely mental i know and there's there must some be people, a lot of caffeine going on and the, there were people settling in with like duvets cushions like <laughs> someone was brought their toothbrush oh like, my god it's a slumber party i know <laughs> i think they absolutely love it but yeah no so it seems to be passing through the lords relatively smoothly so far there was a certain amount of filibustering but there is that commitment to get it through and back to the commons so if it does does make it back to the commons by 5 p.m friday what happens then well then it goes for the royal assent which means it then goes into the statute book and it is then law so with all the amendments being passed and it being agreed to by the lords that bill then becomes the law so uh, boris johnson will find it a lot more difficult to leave with a no deal so yes it might mean depending on who you listen to in the labor party labor will support a general election So speaking about the general election, there was another vote yesterday evening, another vote that Johnson ended up losing. In fact, I think he's three for three on losing votes so far since becoming prime minister. Well done. I mean, you've got to have a 100% record for something. It's just maybe not quite what he was aiming for. (laughs) Um, So Johnson last night attempted to get a general election passed and it was blocked by Parliament. This is something we spoke about in yesterday's podcast when Zach predicted that Labour wouldn't support the movement, generally because they are scared of the date being moved and because they kind of want to embarrass Johnson by forcing him into requesting an extension. I think you're giving me a lot of credit there. I think they might have actually already said they're not. I don't know if it was a prediction. No, as no, no. To just reporting. They had said it. But okay, I mean, well, there you go. I enjoyed the analysis. I was giving it to you. <laughs> so does the success of the Ben bill significantly change the election prospects, do you think? You're just the talking... prospects of an election happening? Yes. Um, well, yeah. So it depends on who you listen to in the Labour front benches. Very typical. There's a little bit of Labour Brexit ambiguity. But... Um, <laughs> So Corbyn and Healy, Mm -hmm. who's in the front benches, have said that actually once the legislation is passed, so, you know, assuming all goes to plan, that would be Monday, Labour will support a general election. And that means that if Boris can find a way to bring back that particular um, motion, the motion he tried yesterday, that requires two thirds to trigger a general election as part of the Fixed Term Parliament Act, he probably would have the numbers, assuming that Corbyn and co supported it. There's an open legal question as to whether or not he actually can bring that back so soon, having you know tried the same motion yesterday. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure as to whether or not he can, so I'm just going to have to leave it there. I don't think anyone really Nobody is, really though, knows. so you know, that's how it is. But if you listen to Keir Starmer, who was interviewed, I think, yesterday as well, he said that they would only support an election once the extension had actually been achieved. Mm-hmm which I think is a far better electoral strategy, which I think is a far better electoral strategy for Labour. An October election is exactly what Boris would want. Firstly, you can campaign on the, you know, if you elect me, I'm going to leave the EU. Mm-hmm. No ifs, no buts. 31st. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, if the election date is somewhere in November, he looks like a failed Brexiteer. That's Farage's dream. And yeah. as we talked about yesterday, you know, that should split the vote. 
Yeah, I was going to agree with that, actually. I think that that is probably the best strategy for Labour is to wait until after the deadline because then, I mean, no matter what happens with this election, it is going to be pretty much entirely around the Brexit debate. I mean, I know that politics has pretty much been centred around Brexit since the vote. I mean, that, that kind of goes without saying. But I think, especially if the, if the election happens before the deadline, it is just what do you want to happen with Brexit? Do you want Johnson in who kind of centred his entire candidacy around I will leave on the 31st, do or die, and then obviously the Labour sort of amb- ambiguity strategy. Whereas if you have the delay, Boris has by definition failed on that promise. You've you've kind of shown him to not be capable of doing that. Whether that's Boris's fault or not is kind of beside the point for Labour. You, you, you've demonstrated that Johnson and his party have been unable to, to carry out the promise that got him into power. So it is in Labour's interest to try and get that general election later than the deadline. Whether they'll be able to do so is kind of is another question entirely. But I, I completely agree with you, Zach. I think it's um, definitely in Labour's best interest to try and have it as late as possible. The other question, I mean, the other thing that was brought up then was to do with how the election would even be called, considering that we can't have the same question in in the same parliamentary sitting, which is something that Theresa May, I think, had a bit of difficulty with with her uh, withdrawal agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you need two, you need a two thirds majority to be able to call the election, which is why it failed last night, even though. There was a, a massive uh, support. There was, there was, I can't remember what the majority was, but it was in the 200s of eyes against nose. Um, it didn't reach that two-thirds threshold. There is, however, a way of basically removing the, um, or changing the Fixed-Term Parliament Act, which is, I think it has to, I can't remember the exact word, but it's like notwithstanding the yeah, uh, nice. Fixed-Term Parliament Act, and then you would only need a, a simple majority because you're basically changing yeah, the legislation. Exactly. So there is a there is a way that he can do it, but it would mm-hmm. be undermining you know that legislation which was brought in in 2011 to try and stop a Prime Minister being able to call an election whenever he, want, he, he or her wanted. I don't think Labour would support that particular bill, whatever I don't happened, either. Though. But I think they, maybe Boris could be hedging his bets on the SNP because they are obviously raring to go yeah. for an election. You know, yes. no ifs, no buts, like <laughs> whatever happens. We'll support an election. Yeah. To be fair, I thought the same about Labour a few months ago. I thought they'd have done anything to get an election um, as soon as possible. But um, no, I think you're right. I think the SNP would, would be more likely to uh, jump for it than Labour. There is also a sort of interesting question as to how long Labour can actually hold out because after a certain point it does especially because this is Johnson's narrative it does look like Labour effectively chickening out of an election Mm. you know like at the moment you can sort of see and they do have a good reason they can say with sincerity that it's because they want um, the extension but once the legislation's through you know assuming Boris does actually um, follow the legislation an extension is basically guaranteed and mm. they're sort of running out of an excuse to hold off on an election. Apart from, you know, the very political reason it it's helps to their them. advantage, yeah, yeah, majorly. It still looks a little bit party political, a little bit petty, and not particularly democratically principled. Well, there's a lot of party politics happening at the minute anyway, so... Um, it's, <laughs> it's nothing uh, out of the ordinary. Seems to be the way the politics is going at the minute. One thing that I did want to add, which was that no matter what happens with this election, it's going to be a short-term election. I mean, what are we in now? We're, we're September, and it would be yeah. in October, so or, or November, so it'd be in you know a very short period of time. And in the last few years, I mean, the 2017 election was a snap election as well, and yeah. the party struggled. I mean, they, they struggled to get the votes didn't get a majority. Neither party got an overall majority. You know, they had to go into a supply and confidence agreement with the DUP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
the, the Tories originally were expected to win that quite resoundingly. They were, they were expected, I, I seem to remember, at least a little bit of talk about Labour, you know, tearing itself apart over that election. And then the, the Conservatives ended up with a supply and, supply and confidence arrangement. The parties struggle when it's a short term election because you have you don't have that much time to plan the, you know, the campaign, to plan, how you know, which talking points you're going to go with, all of that. So I think both parties, although we're talking about it, you know, what time is... Uh, in either the party's best interest. There is still debate about whether it is in either of the party's best interest to have a, a short-term election, and especially with the Brexit party being what it is and, I mean, doing quite well in the locals, which I know the locals are different to the, the general election and you wouldn't expect them to do as well in the general election, but nonetheless, this election is going to be about Brexit and the Brexit party did quite well in, in the local elections around uh, debate of Brexit, which is what this general election will be about. So I think it's going to be quite difficult for, for either party, to be completely honest, with, a, with such a short-term election. Um, I think the Dems would be expected to do well and so would the Brexit party in terms of vote share but obviously we know that vote share doesn't always translate into to seats so um, so yeah I mean I know that was kind of all over the place there I know that the, <laughs> um, there's a few different points made there but yeah I, I think that both parties are going to struggle I really do So to add to the Tories' chaos in Parliament recently, they've also suspended 21 of their own MPs, effectively kicking them out of the party. And we spoke about this a little yesterday too, but it's certainly an unprecedented move. And I'd be interested to hear what you two think this means for the current situation and for things moving forward from here. I think it can be overstated. I, I do actually think it can be overstated how, how, how much different this is going to make. I mean, the whip's been withdrawn from them, which means that party discipline is going to be difficult. But to be completely honest, party discipline has been pretty difficult recently anyway to, to instill because Brexit's such a massive issue for the MPs and everybody seems to want, well, everybody obviously wants their solution to go through. So if, if you adamantly believe that we should leave with a no deal, you will vote for nothing but a no deal. You will, you will be voting on your conscience, not along party lines. And we've seen that with the Conservatives, even when they've instilled the harshest discipline possible, which is if you vote against this, you will be removed from the party. We've seen that MPs haven't listened to the whip. We've seen that that happen. We've seen it with Theresa May's deal with the withdrawal agreement, which is that the Conservatives didn't listen to three-line whip then as well. The MPs that have been removed from the party, the, 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 the former Tories, they haven't changed their principles. Their principles have remained the same whether they were officially a Conservative or not. They're going to be voting along the, the lines of their principles anyway. I can't remember his name yesterday, but there was one MP who was a Tory, who was one of the ones that was, was removed, who said he's going to sit where he's all, always sat, which is in, on, on the, the Conservative benches. And he still supports the Prime Minister and he supports the Prime Minister. So his convictions haven't changed. He's still got the same uh, opinions in the Commons. He's still, although not a member of the Conservative Party, is a small C Conservative. The party discipline has been quite difficult this year anyway. It's obviously going to make a difference. and It's going to be more difficult to instill discipline from the party. But to be honest, this year with party discipline being what it is, I don't think it's going to make a massive amount of difference. Yeah, both Roy Stewart and Stephen Hammond have actually said that they still intend to sit as Conservatives. Yeah. Um, or stand as Conservatives, rather, in the next well, general election. That. Yeah, and I think that's obviously when it starts to play more of a role in this. When we're coming to a general election and you've got various MPs who aren't able to continue running for the Conservative Party. And there is talk of some of the MPs taking legal action against the Conservative Party with a source close to the group saying that up to 10 of them still plan on running and a number of them have even been unofficially re-adopted by their local Conservative associations. So it'll be yeah. interesting if any of them do try and take legal action. We were talking yesterday about Soames, Churchill's grandson, 
Mm. Um, and he commented on his fellow rebels saying he hopes that they do make a legal challenge, saying that he hopes that what they do is grow up and that these people will be on the naughty step now, but will be allowed to stand. So there's definite movement there. There's definite kind of a will from certain people. Um, there was also talks of during the 1922 committee meeting yesterday, a lot of protests and a lot of complaining to the prime minister about the fact these rebels have been removed from the party. So it's definitely causing a bit of a stir within the party. It's not making things too easy for him. But as you were saying, Ben, ultimately when it comes to votes and when it comes to uh, parliamentary action, it's unclear how much difference this is actually going to make. Just because you kick these people out of the party doesn't necessarily yeah. mean their views change on other issues. And they're still sitting in the Commons. They're, they're still they're still MPs. They're still able to vote on legislation. So it, it's easy to look at it and say, well, the Conservatives have got a minority. On the surface, although that's true, when you actually look deeper, the independents that they've now created are still small C Conservatives and they're still going to vote. I, I mean, I would expect them to vote in similar ways to what they would have done by doing the party. It's just more difficult for the Conservatives to discipline them. Uh, well, I mean, they can't discipline them. So <laughs> they couldn't <laughs> a hell before, of a... so there's no change. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that's exactly it. So, no, the, the MPs are still sitting. They've still got the same views. Um, it's just more difficult to punish them when they don't want to vote for the way the party wants them to. So, yeah, um, I don't think it's going to make a whole lot of difference. And there's, I mean, I, I haven't seen any talk myself about whether they're going to be readmitted or, you know, at any point in the future. Have you heard about anything about this? There was a letter that was uh, signed by a load of Conservative MPs and it was actually signed by three cabinet members mm -hmm. it was signed by amber rudd nikki morgan and nikki butland and it wasn't explicitly asking for the expelled mps to return but it was sort of it was like sending thoughts and prayers you know it's like <laughs> yeah unlucky guys yeah we like you still <laughs> the other thing is that um some of the mps were, i think were actually going to stand down at the next election anyway so i think yes. ken clark was one of them that was going to stand down at the next election anyway so if there was an election in October, Ken Clark wouldn't have been there. And yeah. I'm not sure if he's the only one. I think there was a few others. So, uh, Soames also wouldn't have been there. Yeah, so Soames, Soames as well. So he, he, he would have already been, he would have already stepped down. So that's, that's, that's some that would have already been gone at the next one. And there's no, there's no guarantees that they won't be readmitted at some point anyway. Because with, at the minute, what it seems to be is that Boris Johnson is struggling to get Brexit through and his his whole strategy at the minute is we want Brexit to happen no matter what obviously he's saying he'd prefer a deal but he'd be willing to leave with a no deal if it means we can get out on the 31st um, and part of that is he's saying he's willing to get rid of any MPs that are saying that they will do anything they can to block a no deal which in his eyes means that it's blocking us leaving at all so he's trying to get rid of these, these people in the party that are being obstructive to his aims once he's done that once we're out on the 31st which is what he's saying he wants to do you know, it, it, it wouldn't be terrible from his point of view to let them back in because they've they've carried mm. out what he said he's going to do. Um, and it would be quite cutthroat to say, you know, all these MPs that have been working up, I mean, Rory Stewart, who is a leadership contender, um, you know, these other MPs who've been who've been working hard in the Commons, to kick them out of the party and never readmit them. I mean, that would be quite yeah. a harsh, harsh thing for the party to do. It would be quite um, shocking for them never to be readmitted. I think it's, I think they would be readmitted after the Brexit deadline and once, once we're out. I think it's more of a, a political strategy from Johnson to say, we're, we're getting rid of the people who are blocking Brexit. We'll, we'll get some new MPs in who will be more supportive of it. We'll get the deal, you know, we'll get the deal through, we'll get the no deal through, we'll get out of the European Union, then maybe readmit them. Um, I just, I think it would be quite cutthroat to, 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 for them to say that they'd never be readmitted, which is probably why they haven't officially said that. Um, I think that's quite, so yeah, I, I I'd expect them to hopeful. be back at some point. I think it's. I think that they will actually be expelled pretty much for good because I think the main thing at the moment, given the electoral climate, 
is for Boris to have this just completely done and dusted when a general yeah. election comes around. So I don't think they'll be readmitting them pre-general election or even during the campaign no, period. Not. And then once you know they've run or stood as not conservatives, um, I don't think they'll be back <clears> in the party. I don't think they'll win their seats either. Standing as an independent is really difficult. Yeah. So I think that might be the end of their political careers. I, I understand that, and I, I don't. I certainly don't think that they're going to be back before the election. I think that that wouldn't make sense for removing them from the party. But in in the future, I, I, and again, whether they win their seats again is 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 a different is a different story. I'm, I'm not sure that all of them will. Some of them might. Once Brexit's through, you might as well have your majority increased again. So if if someone wins the seat against a conservative, and they were previously a conservative, and the main reason they were removed from the party is because they were trying to sort of block a Brexit, uh, block No Deal, which in Johnson's eyes is blocking Brexit and that's already gone through, uh, we're, we're out of the EU. I mean, there might be a new leader by that point, you never know. Um, so I don't think it's, it's completely unfeasible to to expect them to be back in the party at some point in the future, but I certainly agree with you on that, that they're definitely not going to be back in the party before the before general election. One other major thing happened in the Commons yesterday, that being Javid's spending announcement. Sajid Javid, the current Chancellor, uh, made a series of announcements about increased spending uh, throughout various government departments. The announcement marked the biggest spending review in 15 years, increasing the total government spend by about £13.8 billion, which certainly is a huge increase to be making. That makes it a 4.1% increase in government spending from 2019-20 to 2020-21, which is, again, 4.1% is a pretty impressive increase. The biggest areas of spending all saw an increase, so that's health saw a 3.1% increase to £13.9 billion a year. Education also saw a 3.1% increase to £130 billion a year. And defence saw an increase of 1.8% to £30 billion a year. According to the government, no department will experience real-term funding cuts and every department will see their budget rise. Javid claimed that he was able to afford the increases due to changes in government income and expenditure and that the difference between the two had dropped to 1.1%, which is far below the Treasury's objective of the 2% target. Labour said the government were just spending money that they'd saved for Brexit and the money wasn't necessarily coming from the right places and it wasn't a sustainable long-term plan. Uh, The left-wing think tank, the Institute for Government, backed that up, accusing the government of using a mirage of figures and said that the public shouldn't be taken by today's spending review. It doesn't reverse a decade of austerity and chronic underinvestment in our society and economy. And when you do look at the increases in the light of the last decade's worth of cuts, you can see that the cumulative change from 2009 through to 2021 means that only three departments actually have seen their total budgets increase in real terms. Those departments are health, which saw a 14% increase, the Home Office 9%, and International Development 8%. But that leaves a whole load of departments seeing their budget cut, including education being cut by 11%, Defence 12%, Justice 31%, Environment also 31%, Transport 54%, and the biggest cut of all goes to local government, which saw its budgets cut by 77%. And it's not even just limited to government departments. There are also cuts all over the union, with Northern Ireland seeing their budget cut by 8%, Welsh government seeing theirs cut by 21%, and the Scottish by 37 So what do we think of these announcements? Some pretty massive increases in spending in some areas. Uh, the government is trying to sell it as a big deal, as a big change, as the end of austerity. Are we buying into this? Does this seem like a genuine strategy or is it more of a PR stunt leading up to the next general election? 
Well, just on the austerity part, for the last few years that they seem to keep claiming that it's the end of austerity, that, that this is the sort of end of austerity bill, that this budget will, you know, mm. end austerity. So it's not the first time we've heard um, the phrase, it's the end of austerity. Um, yeah, the Conservatives and, were keen to start austerity, but they seem to have been even keener to finish it. They've been talking about it, as you say, for quite a while now, and it's yeah. not entirely clear which of all of these things will be the one that officially ends it in their eyes or in the public's eyes yeah i think it's definitely more of an electoral pitch than a sincere budget you can tell what they're going for they realize that austerity was not a popular message but i don't think it's actually a great electoral pitch i think the tories sort of usp the thing that they've always relied on to capture a reliably large slice of the electorate has been economic competence Mm -hmm. and i think especially when you've got like a global economic slowdown and you're going for maybe a no-deal Brexit, then spending a load of money that it's not clear that you have is probably not a great plan. I think you undermine your main selling point, Uh, especially because the spending figures are based on borrowing figures that were predicted way back in March. Yeah. And they also use the 12 billion that's now counting the budget that comes from student loans which we have a video coming out this so a little plug <laughs> Big topic coming up <laughs> um that's not a sustainable source of income but yeah so these figures that were produced in march the amount of borrowing that they expected to be able to do that was obviously pre you know global economic slowdown mm-hmm. and i just think it's a really risky tactic from the toys to try and sell themselves not quite as corbin light but as you know we're going to spend so much on the nhs we're going to sort out the social care issue yeah especially when I think that only thing that, that maybe could have tied together all those different branches of conservatism would have been their sort of fiscal responsibility and economic competence. I think there might be some small relationship between uh, your, your Brexiteers and your disregard for economics. Oh, that, that, I don't mean that as in like Brexiteers don't know anything about economics at all. Yeah. I mean that as in for lots of Brexiteers, this is a short-term economic sacrifice for long-term economic gain. And I think those are those people are obviously a bit more sort of fiscally hopeful is probably the best way of putting it. Yeah. So I think that this Brexiteer government breeds a slightly more expansionary take on budgets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's probably... What it's certainly interesting how we're going into the most uncertain the most kind of like potentially risky economic times the uk has experienced in a long long time and yet the government's response to win this election it seems yeah. is to do the opposite of what feels kind of like naturally prudent it's a really of high saving risk money of like yeah. yeah it feels like the opposite of what they should be doing maybe but it seems like a good strategy for an election probably it's also a bit of a risk because with all of these spending things you've got an election coming up really really soon i mean you have the promises which will count something electorally but obviously health and social care and education have you know for lack of a better term like they're the big overarching systemic issues and they're not going to be solved immediately mm-hmm. by you know increases in budgets yeah which means that you're probably not going to reap the political rewards of these increases that quickly so when you factor that out the only thing you're really gaining is being able to say we're going to spend this much on you know these departments and if you want the nhs you know go for us but corbyn always one-ups you on that one 
Just to add to that as well, I don't think it's the first time that um, the Conservatives have done this. I, I, Zach's just plugged uh, a video, and I'm going to uh, do a plug for myself as well here, which is that I'm currently working on the, the other podcast series, which is going to be to do with the um, uh, former Prime Ministers. So, obviously... Um, I've been going through these recently and the Conservatives in the 50s sort of regularly did this, which was prior to the election, have a massive either tax cut or some sort of give. They were known as giveaway budgets. So in yeah. 55 and 59, they had giveaway budgets, um, you know, soonish to an election to get into the minds of the, the electorate that life's better under the Conservatives. Um, so it's not it's not the first time that the Conservatives have done this. I mean, obviously, that is an interpretation and it's not it's not fact that they've done this from an uh, electioneering standpoint. But, it, you know, if you do subscribe to that opinion, it's certainly not the first time that the Conservatives have done that. And uh, I mean, it worked for them in the 50s. I mean, they had I know the 50s are a completely different time. And I don't know these figures adjusted for inflation, but I know that in 59, it was 159 million pounds, I think, somewhere around there. So it was it was a big tax giveaway. And after that, they won a, a massive majority. Um, and obviously, times are slightly different, but the party stood for similar things to what they do now so it's not it's it's not an unfair comparison to draw i don't think but as i say it's not, it's not the first time the conservatives have done this and um yeah uh whether it serves them in this election against a sort of as you say a corbyn government who is who is sort of wanting to propose uh even bigger either public spending it's not long we're going to have to wait to find out really is it uh if uh, monday goes as we expect it to yeah, we could be talking about an election very soon. We could end up seeing these strategies play out in real time in not that long at all. Fun, fun, yes. fun. More podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just one, one more thing, just at the end of this. Um, could we re-record the intro? Because I was I, I didn't know what to say and I sounded like a complete moron. Uh, yeah. I don't need to record. You can just, just pretend I said, I'm Ben. Yeah, hello, hello. First time on the podcast. Let's let's do the. Oh no, that's terrible. I have no idea what to say. What? That's worse. That's honestly worse. How? That was the nerdiest thing. Yeah. <laughs> the first Hi guys, one was, welcome was terrible, to my YouTube account. That one was that one was something new. What? What did you two say? What? What? What do you say? Did you just say hello? Oh, sorry. What was we that? should we should have a. I think we should also make a compilation of terrible intros for me because this. at this rate we're gonna have like ten minutes of just horrific intros for me. Right. Okay. Um. How did you two see us? Did you just say hello? Is I didn't because good... I I just started talking. Zach, Zach, how did you? Did you just say hello? Uh. Um. I was. I went for sort of understated. Uh. For this one, I said I'm. You know, it's me again. Yeah. No, I okay, didn't right. think your intro was that bad. Yeah. It was totally bad. Made it worse. Have you been worrying I, about I, I it all the way them, through? I mean, the people listening to this podcast are not interested in my <laughs> holiday plans. Let's try this again. Okay. Sorry. Oh yeah, you did. That was quite a lot of detail. I did. I did. You're yeah. gonna get loads of fans. Which centre parks is it? Just so everyone can come down and meet you by the pool. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've only got one more day here, so they'd be, have to be quick. In the wave pool, still <laughs> stressing about his introduction. Yeah, Brexit, yeah. There's, there's me there with my, like, waterproof phone reading all of the, the stuff going down, yeah. By yeah, the big yeah, curly exactly. slide. But by the big curly slide, exactly, yeah. I'll be the Sweet. one in, in the, the fluorescent green shorts and the, the phone reading Brexit, yeah. Okay, right. Do you so, want to do it again? Or are yeah, you happy okay, with your intro? It. We just, believe just, you into not doing it. Yeah, yeah. Just take the okay, I'll just say <laughs> hello. I was just going to say, if, you, if I just say hello, could you just cut that in the place of my horrific intro? Would that work? Yeah, sure. Mm. Okay, be, so I, yeah, go for it. Okay. Hello. <laughs> okay, that sounds... That, I, <laughs> oh, and the fire alarm goes off. This is... This is... This was that shit. It was that and shit to hell. That's where it ends. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. See ya. <laughs>
Oh, amazing. That was such a good ending. Fucking hell.